Hey, Cooper here, wanting to introduce you all to what you're about to listen to. It's something a little different than our regular episodes of Waste Books. It'll be something that comes out between each episode, and we're going to call it Appendix. It's for all the little extra stuff that couldn't quite fit into the episode, couldn't quite make it, or something entirely different that is going to still bring yet more stuff into the whole bigger, grander dialogue that is surrounding the books and the books we read um, and who we are as people, you know? A big part of Voice Books and the fun that I have doing it is that all of my other hosts that I do it with are friends of mine from way back in the day. Um, And it's really our only chance that I get to sit down and talk with everyone. And so here's another perfect excuse to be able to wrangle them into recording our po- our conversations we have and releasing it as a podcast and so it's going to be coming out between um, each regular episode of Waste Books and as of right now it has a pretty loose uh, schedule, has a pretty loose um, what am I even trying to say? It's just going to be lo- it's going to be loose, I keep using that word let's just keep that word, it's going to be a loose it's got a loose format um, it's going to be centered around books, books we're reading, books that the people are reading. Um, it can, it's going to be open to everybody. I'm very excited about it. This one you're about to hear is uh, Phil and I. Phil's another host on Waste Books, and we're able to sit down and catch up, sort of talk uh, to each other about some of the more interesting and fun and challenging things that are happening in our lives artistically. Um, you're all about to hear that now. I just wanted to say, too, that there was a bit of a uh, recording mishap in this podcast and there was a chunk of it in which Phil's microphone didn't pick up uh, anything that he was saying. So it stopped recording. Uh, so I just sort of did what I could. There's going to be a gap in the conversation. And what you missed in that is Phil explaining his incredibly busy uh, live performance schedule. He's It's been so much fun to see him... Um, go and just play live music and he talks a lot about that and I unfortunately don't have that so what I'd like to do right now is point everybody to Phil's Instagram page and that is at filthyg6 Uh, that's on Instagram and he posts and updates a lot about when and where he's performing um, usually in and around Billings, Montana Um, I know he does some tour dates quite a bit of quite a bit of touring so be sure and catch him go follow him there keep keep taps on that guy man he's he's phenomenal and it's so much fun to see um him just get a chance to play more and more in public um so that's it for right now uh i was supposed to have a song a jingle written and uh recorded for this podcast unfortunately i just want to get this out there i'm very excited about this and there's nothing so as an introduction you just got this in later episodes who knows I don't know I've made a lot of promises you know I always say you know over promise under deliver and that's sort of what's happening right now so enjoy the podcast and yeah tell us what you think I'm really excited about this and I'm uh, excited for you all to listen to it and be a part of it that's professional right okay waste 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 waste
appendix. So we're back. We're here. This is actually the first mini-sode of Waste that we'll be doing. Uh, I'm Cooper Malin, here with Phil Griffith. Hi. And, yeah, we wanted to do something where we can um, do a little bit more in-depth conversation or a look at the books we'll be doing, um, as well as just generally hanging out, catching up. Um, we, we all started off as friends first um, and are now business partners, question mark, now? <laughs> but we all live very busy lives, and as you can tell from um, the Waste Books podcast, we're all across the world at this point, which is in itself insane. Uh, so it's not very often that we're all able to get together and talk. And so hopefully uh, this will be just a little uh, extra, little side thing um, that should be yeah. fun to do and should be fun to listen to. And um, this will be pretty loosey-goosey, I think, as far as what all we'll be talking about. Cool. Especially today, because today we don't have a book. Um, we mm. we did just finish Babel um, 17 by Samuel R. Delaney, um, but hopefully this will be out before that one comes out, so there's going to be uh, no spoilers or no point in talking about the book yet, because you will um, be listening to that podcast in a bit. So here we're just going to kind of bullshit. Cool. Um, well, so, like, part of the thing, right, about hanging out and sort of catching up or friends is that, like, all of us are so busy and, like, have kind of amorphous lives in a lot of ways, yeah. right? Where, like, like you are just saying, you just kind of started picking up these, uh, what's it called when you get these commission projects, <laughs> That's right? That's the adult word that I tell my parents. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> it sounds, and I guess put on tax forms now? I don't know. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> Well, so I didn't know that you were doing that stuff, right? Like, that's yeah. just something that popped up for you, and, like, you probably don't know about all the stuff I'm doing, and, like, I don't know about everything that Dan's doing or, like, whoever. So yeah. it's just kind of nice to have time to, like, dive in, like, one-on-one with each other. And yeah, hell yeah. stuff. So. I know. This commission work, I'm, like, flipping through my journal, but this commission work has, has come up so fast that I don't even really know myself. Um, mm. what to think of it. It just, it all just sort of came in. And I don't know, this has been something that I've been doing since even high school when I would have um, buddies ask me to like make them a shirt or make them a sticker or like a ba- oh, like a band shirt or a poster. Um, right. Like Idaho did that. Yeah, you, yeah, right? exactly. And, and then throughout the years since high school, I've done, I've done enough of that that where if I wanted to, I could have a portfolio or a resume. Um, but I never thought seriously about it, which doesn't make any sense because I'd think seriously about my comics, which is something that um, I rarely even publish or put out there. Um, but something like a poster or a T-shirt that does get high traffic, you know, it's it's seen by a lot of people. I just mm-hmm. never would think to consider a part of my repertoire. Right. But now it's all just been dumped on my lap all of a sudden. And mm-hmm. like we were talking about before, it coincides with me getting um, a job because those are also important to have. And it's been a minute since I've had um, <laughs> kind of like, I don't even, just like a service industry job, I guess, because in the summers I work for the National Park Service. And that right. takes care of everything. What I've heard about performing live, um, and I my only ever real experience was doing um, piano recitals when I was young. Mm-hmm. But only you really know that if you mess up, 
you're the only one who really knows that you did that. Mm. So you kind of have to just like play through it, right? Um, yeah, sorry. Like, uh, yeah. Like if if a dancer stumbles over a step, really nobody in the audience has any clue, especially if they're able to play it off. Totally. Yeah, so that's part of it is just like taking a different attitude to mistakes, right? So instead yeah. of being like so harsh on yourself for putting up an Instagram post where you wish the picture looked different that you mm-hmm. did or whatever, right. you'd be like, oh, okay, like that was just that picture at that stage and like I've changed it now and if you want to see the finished, like what I really wanted you to see, like yeah. check out this comic book I did or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, there's part of this just about like letting people into the process and being like not insecure about your weaknesses but rather just like doing it anyway so that you can improve on those weaknesses and like mm-hmm. – there's something about putting yourself out there right and having your weaknesses exposed that makes you want to fix them a lot more quickly too. <laughs> when like <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, if you're self-broadcasting your own deficiencies, it's mm-hmm. going to make you want to not have those be so deficient anymore. Right. Well, and that's what makes like a lot of my friends fucking neurotic and like musicians, especially jazz musicians are notorious for having like chemical dependency issues and stuff. Right. Is that like uh, you just oh shit! What were you just saying? Uh, talking about deficiencies in posting. Oh, is that like your mistakes are laid bare, and like even if you're the only one that notices, mm-hmm. like there's this thing about if you ask professional musicians like how they felt about their performance on any given night, they could probably give you like a laundry list of shit that happened. Totally. That was just little stuff that like. Even that if nobody but them was aware of. Right. Like, the people who are listening were like, oh, that was an amazing solo or whatever. And they're like, mm-hmm. actually, like, I missed this, this, and this. And, like, I wanted to hit this. And right. I didn't. But then there's stuff that you could do to kind of, like, um, right, cover that up or make it work with it. Or, like, in jazz, some people talk about um, mistakes being, like, where creativity happens even. Like, yeah when you make a mistake all of a sudden you're in unknown territory and then you have to react and do something in order to like sort of get out of the hole right get back onto track right and so that's actually like mistakes are kind of the shit like where the Mm -hmm. gold is which is kind of cool i like the yeah the only analogy i can think because when i think of mistakes when it comes to um like if i'm if i'm drawing or painting or something Mm. a mistake for me would be a line that just when it was not where I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. um, the design doesn't look good, and I don't know. Very rarely has that ever happened where I like fuck up, and then I look at it and go, "Wait a minute, that's actually exactly what this piece needed." Mm. Um, oh, right. That hardly ever happens. Usually, it's like a whiteout moment where I just got to take the whiteout and try to redo it, or which has been a new thing for me using whiteout um, as far as like my inked drawings Hmm. what usually happens if I'm inking something and I make a mistake I just toss the whole thing out and start Mm -hmm. over right Um, but what I try to do now and I did a lot more um, as a kid is just do um, like just doodling doodling Mm -hmm. I think is is sort of my moment of improvisation where Mm -hmm. I'm able to I've I've come across so many just designs by thoughtlessly doodling um, and right. something will stand out at me. 
Um, but I hardly ever do that because it almost feels like a waste of time, mm. um, which, again, is my own hang-up and is mm-hmm. not at all. Like, when I look at it, I realize that's not at all the case. It's mm-hmm. it's like doing, like, dribbling drills mm-hmm. for if you're a basketball player. Right. Um, I, I think, anyways. Or just, like, um, shooting hoops with your friends, right? That would be a place yeah. where it's a little looser or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. I don't, and it's in, going back to letting people into the process. Uh, I think that's, I, I you see that more now because we, we're both on Instagram, we're both on Facebook, and all right. the other platforms. We, we're kids of the internet, um, and I think that is such a new media mentality to let people in because people love that. Mm. Everybody loves that. I, I think it plays on our mm-hmm. um, natural voyeuristic inclinations. We all want to peek behind the curtains. Totally. Um, and I think that is such a cool and exciting thing to be able to do. Um, Laura all the time will point out when I'm working on something that she loves to come and see the different stages because mm-hmm. um, for her it, it makes that finished product um, that much more fun to see because mm-hmm. she was able to see it in all those different stages leading up to it. Yeah. Um, and that's something I don't take advantage of as well as I should right like I don't I don't take pictures capturing each moment um mm-hmm. I don't even pause to think about it and in, in right but I, I don't know I like seeing that when other people do that mm-hmm. I yeah, love man. like Mary Kate does that a bunch like she's really mm-hmm. good about being pretty open about like what she's working on and just sort of letting you see what the fuck she's doing you know yeah yeah and because that would be easy for you, right? Like, even if there's just a fucking like oracle little thing that floated around and was your social media orb, right? Like, oh, here, Cooper. Let me just like take a picture and put it on your Instagram story. Like, people would like this, even though you don't yeah. think of that. Like, it would be as easy as that. Like, just like, oh, here's what the fuck I'm doing. Like, yeah. here you go, world. And then they could see like, oh, Cooper, you're so cool. Or <laughs> That's all I ever need. <laughs> yeah, actually, you don't need that validate me <laughs> there's not enough validation in the world man no i know so tell me about it flora has to put up with that all the time <laughs> my neediness <laughs> but then i don't know and then a part of me gets sickened by all of it yeah just to bring it on a on a downer note totally. i have i have such a wonderful peaceful calming time <laughs> creating Mm-hmm. It and must then, be nice. <laughs> what's that? It must be nice. It's, it is very, very nice. <laughs> uh, but this social media stuff then just feels like a carnival barker. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, a what? It just, it just feels like I'm a carnival barker to my own, like, sideshow then. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's gross because you have to be self-promotional. Yeah, which, mm-hmm. again, shouldn't be a problem because I am proud of what I'm doing and... I'm really doing it for more than just myself. Um, mm. Like, it's it'd be silly for me to try to pretend like I only ever draw and write to make myself happy. That's a huge mm. part of it. Mm. Um, but it's it's also to, you know, with a lot of my comics and writing, it's being able to, like, walk up to somebody and be like, I feel this way. Do you ever feel this way? Right. Um, but I just, I can't... Because then... 
I don't know. I get way into my own head about this sort of shit. Mm. I even go as far as like, all right, what sort of voice should I use on my Instagram post? Should I be oh, like yeah. sardonic? Should I be ironic? Should I be right. like distant? Like I don't really care about this. Right. You know, self uh, mm. um, um, deprecating just to, right. just to show people that like I'm doing this, but I really don't care if I do this. It but reminds me of get that five thousand likes on it. Right. It reminds me of that Bill Hicks thing where. Um. Oh shit. Oh, he t- he's making jokes about like the marketing people in the audience. Do you mm. remember this? Where he's like, "Is there anybody here who works in advertising or marketing?" Oh, yeah. And then he's like, "Kill yourself." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No. Seriously, kill yourself. And he's like, "Oh yeah." He goes on to riff like, "Oh, that anti-marketing dollar. That's a good market." Like, so like the whole yes. thing about like, uh. I'm on social media, but I don't want to be on social media. It's like yes. something that you do on social media. <laughs> it's like uh, becomes a whole hideous like. It reminds me of white noise, right? We read th- read that, and there's just like yeah, this feedback loop of it all, where it's just it, like it's, it's all it is a madhouse carnival, like you're saying, and then you have to be like, yes. oh, come to this part of the carnival. Like I've got an upright <laughs> base. And it's like yes, I've got drawings. <laughs> I know it's. <laughs> And again, I, I think I, I always just sound like I'm bitching or like I'm an old man just being like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Um, but I'm going to give it a try. So that's, I think, the, the, you should, the man. end note I can leave on. You I'm are? I'm going to do it. I think it'd be cool. Well, you know, like it might open up doors that you didn't think were there. Like part of the thing about just trying something out is that like even if even if it fails – there's like nothing really lost unless you have yeah. like there's pride involved or like um, social consequences or something right or other like fuck ups <laughs> then like sometimes it's not <laughs> worth it but most often it, shit works out even if it yeah. doesn't work out and then you could just try again and see if anything yep. sticks or whatever so and also i mean truth be told this is the world we live in now mm-hmm. like there's it's no longer a publishing world where I do something and then I have to write hundreds of letters right. um, and send samples. And, and, and that still does happen. Mm-hmm. And that is something um, I would certainly love to be able to do. But it really is like an independent creator's market right now. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many platforms in which um, a creative type can just make and sell their own stuff with no middleman mm. or very little middleman. Like, I don't. There's. A lot of sites that will take a percentage of your sales because you're using their service and that's fine mm. um but this is just sort of how things happen and i should mm. not rail against it mm-hmm. but just try and find my own way through it in a right. way that makes me feel comfortable totally. um, and i think that's just what i need to do right. like period right What's so funny, because, like, I think about my social media activity, and most of the time it has to do with promoting events and stuff that I'm doing, where it's, like... Yeah. It is a handy thing to put up an event, and, I mean, actually, if you post on your Facebook page, like, your band page, Mm -hmm. often Facebook algorithms don't show that stuff, so it feels like it doesn't even work, but there are handy things. But my whole shit is, like, self-promotion, which is, like gross on one level right but like there are kind of fun ways to do it where it is less gross and like more of just like hey i'm not that different from you like 
this isn't that special. Like it's just special insofar as like I've chosen to pursue something, right? And if you're mm-hmm. interested, then like here you can come look. But it's right. not like, oh, look how cool I am. Like, <laughs> although of course there's a thing. Like in order to get likes, you have to be cool, and that's part of like the whole grossness about it is that it is right. kind of just like a fucking cool game. But it, in it, in that changes depending on whatever circle or tribe you happen to be trying to right. reach. Right. Right. Um so it is it is it is terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> is there's a lot of there's a lot of good on it too and I I'd hope I I'd, I'd want to be able to carve my own corner of that out. Mm-hmm. Um like obviously social media is not here to st- like it's not going to last forever. Um this is just a, a, a phase of the internet I like to try to like think about. You know, the internet since its creation in the 70s has gone through so many different stages and iterations, and this just happens to be one of them. Mm. Um, which I could be 100% wrong. Um, <laughs> but I also like to think of this social media phase of the internet being just, mm. just that, a phase, and then trying to imagine what post-social media internet world looks like. Right. Because some of the stuff is, like, I think genuinely really cool and does have the sort of openness to allow for shit that we don't get to see through, like, traditional media sources, right? So, like, I have a favorite podcast. I told you about that one with Chris Ryan, tangentially Mm -hmm. speaking. And, like, he also has a social media account and he has projects going on. Like, they just had this thing they called the Motherfucker Awards where, like, um, (laughs) him, this other dude – or actually – What's the other guy's name? I forget, but they, like, set up this thing where they had... Do you know who the Yes Men are at all? Those guys that are, like, culture jammers? Uh, they no. They do, like, a giant pranks on corporations and that kind of thing. But anyway, oh, so we cool. had them come, and the Motherfucker Awards were, like, in L.A., and they invited comedians to come give awards to the companies that were, like, the most fucked up with the environment <laughs> that were, like, fucking over <laughs> That's great. Mother Earth or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, like I like to follow him and see, and because I'll hear him talk about shit on the podcast, and I'll be like, "Oh, how did that like motherfuckers awards turn out?" And then I'll go look at right. pictures on the Instagram, and it's just like a nice, like multifaceted way to see into like what people are really doing. And of course, a, a lot of the time there's like alt information that ends up being able to like appear in these channels just because yeah, like there's not the room for it in larger discourse. So mm-hmm. I think that's really cool and. I don't know, like, as much grossness as there is, I think there's some chance for, like, genuine interaction or, like, opening yeah. up. Opening up. I think so. Gen- like, genuine interaction, right? And like I think the most important aspect of this is that it's removed the gatekeeper. Um, right. And you were touching about that with, like, the new media versus traditional media. Right. No longer is there somebody um, or a group of somebodies who is in control of what is and is not allowed to be mm-hmm. um, put out there. Right. I mean, you and I are able to have a conversation in Montana in which we're talking about promoting ourselves, mm-hmm. whereas before we would have to try to reach out to a company, hope they have our best interests as creative types, and promote us in a way that oh, well, it doesn't even fly under the old model, right? It'd be like, wait, you're two like bum ass like artists, and yeah. You just want us to record you talking. Right, right there, yes. (laughs) Put that out? And be like, yeah, man, it's actually going to be really – like if you can imagine like before podcasts and like somebody proposed that, they'd be like – I mean because we had talk shows and stuff, but it wasn't like the same kind of niche shit where it's like 
to kind of like losers, like as far as most people are concerned. Like there's only a small number of people who are going to think that what we have to say is valuable, right? And that's fine. I mean, yeah. It's great. But before we just wouldn't have like even got off the ground an inch. No, you you needed to have like mass mass Mm -hmm. market appeal. You needed to be able to appeal to like the, to all types of of denominators. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'd be happy talking to just the void. Right, and or like next to me, <laughs> Raquel might be listening, and that's cool. <laughs> like, hi, <Yeah>. Raquel. <laughs> so there's just like any little thing, but um, is there anything you're reading right now? Um, you know, that's a good question. Not because you're you're busy. Yeah, no, I don't really read that much. That's part of my trouble with like this like why I didn't read for the last podcast <laughs> is that I'm just bad at making space for it. And I don't know, ever since school, I kind of don't feel like it, which I guess is a common trend for people who go to school is like a lot of them yeah. read like less than however many books a year, like a very low number of books. And I'm seeming to fall into that category right now. Um, but I'd Did like you to read as a kid. A better, huh? Did you read as a kid? Yeah, I read a lot as a kid. And I like reading. That's why I went to school for it. But there's just kind of like a burnout thing that's happening. Did did your reading – so you read as a kid and then did it continue on until college and then drop off there? Or did it drop off in high school, pick back up? Because like you said, you went to – the the major you got was, you know, it's text heavy. Yeah. Um, Did you read it in in high school? yeah, I liked what reading. You had to for English class and stuff. Um, some, yeah, but not a ton. Like I've always been pretty lazy, and I don't know. Yeah. Like, I really enjoy reading. In fact, it's a really relaxing kind of like la- good lazy activity. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I just like don't have the drive to pick up a book sometimes. What did you read as a kid? Um, like Harry Potter, or mm-hmm. My Side of the Mountain series was a good one. When I don't I was, know that one. Oh, that's like where a little boy goes out, um, gets lost in the wilderness, and uh, eventually befriends a falcon that helps him hunt for food, and it's just this oh, like survivalist wait. thing. Oh, that sounds so familiar. Maybe I'm confusing it with the Hatchet series. Did you oh, read that one? That was a great one too. Yep. Yeah. I kind of like those adventure ones or the Hardy Boys when I was much younger. Ooh. When I was young, I read a couple Hardy Boys too in the Nancy Drews. I think my sister read Nancy Drews, and I read a couple of those. Right. Um, well, that's because I I'm a huge I'm a huge reader. Right. Um, I don't know. There's only been one time in my life where I wasn't reading a book, and by that I mean up till this point, I have always been reading a book from as far back as I can remember. Mm. Um, there was one point where I wanted to focus on my writing, and so I said that I wouldn't read while I was doing that, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And I actually saw, like, a decrease in my mental health because mm. of that. Um, because of this, like, forced sabbatical from reading. And so I'm I'm definitely a, a capital R reader. Yeah. And have been since I can remember. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I, what I tell people, too, is that you need to find what really you like reading. You. Yeah. Which sounds silly, but I think people too often um, don't, won't put the time to discover that. Right. Because I've seen plenty of people who wouldn't call themselves readers who happen to find that one book that just captures their imagination completely. And they just go crazy about it. Yeah, and they disappear into it. And I try to tell them, like, listen, there's so many other books like that one you just read. Mm -hmm. Just go out and find them. Yeah. 
Right. Like, you don't have to read the newest nonfiction book that came out. You don't have to read, you know, classic capital L literature. You don't right. have to try to read Dostoevsky. Right. If reading fantasy fucking blows your socks off, then just read as much as you can. Totally. Well, and that just goes to, like, a general thing I have about, like, work and life is that if you do stuff that interests you, you're just going to do it more. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you don't have to force yourself to do things that you're just excited about naturally yeah. or whatever and i also think that reading is a muscle and mm. i and i firmly believe that um and if you don't if you don't work it then you're not going to be able to to do it right um and if you think of it that way you're, you're one having if you want to get into reading and you're not but you want to um you you have to one develop it as a habit mm-hmm. and two people who say they're slow readers or, right. or they're bad readers besides like any extenuating circumstances like dyslexia right. or whatnot i think it's you know i can't bench press 250 pounds right now mm-hmm. nor would i ever try to um <laughs> you know i would have to work up to it right um and i think the same should be applied to reading if people really want to get into reading i think they have to look at it as a form of exercise mm-hmm. their, their muscles atrophied and they got to build that back up again right well, it's funny because I'm actually, like, better at reading now for some reason, it feels like, than I have been, mm-hmm. where I can, like, read faster. Um, so it makes me want to get back into it. Like, and right, I went to school for four and a half years for it. So, like, yeah, that kind of training, I think, sticks with you even if you don't keep up with the practice. So at oh, this totally. point, it's kind of a waste for me not to, like, exercise that. Because it's so yeah. much easier. Like, it's more of a playful exercise at that point, right? It's not, like, mm-hmm. trudging through this thing anymore. Um, right. Because so, I yeah. think your ex- your experience is exponential. So right. I've found that in myself, too. The older I get and the more text I've read, the easier things will be in the future for me to read, mm-hmm. comprehend, take in. Like, not even just on a speed level, just being able to parse out things and i've i've done fun yeah yeah i've done fun experiments i sound like such a fucking loser but i've done little experiments more reading experiments (laughs) yeah i've i will read just uh one specific genre and read as much as i can of that genre Mm -hmm. and so by the end of it i've picked up on all of the tropes and the tropes and stuff yeah Mm -hmm. exactly so by the end of it, I'm just like flying through right. um, these so these last books of the genre because it's just it's like I don't know it's it's I imagine it's like you with jazz where you you get to learn the codes uh-huh. the codex the language yep. behind it right and then you can just listen to anything and be like ah I see what they're doing there cool right. that's an interesting way of doing that nice right well and I'm not really at the level where I can identify super complicated aspects of that but like i'm starting to and it's kind of cool once you get to those levels where you've picked up the pieces of the game and how the pieces move and Mm -hmm. you could follow when somebody does something interesting with one of those pieces like yeah that goes outside of your expectations and then you can appreciate it and right like kind of put things together quicker as you're reading too and like that's Mm -hmm. part of integrating it too is just like having the framework to put those little things in like okay this book was playing on this framework this way and then this book like which was 10 years after it like yeah ground this way and then you start to systematize it and then all of a sudden you have like this kind of organic knowledge that you can navigate through and yeah you get better at it which is cool. yeah it's it's super cool but you're not reading anything right at this moment 
No, I was just looking around for books to read. Um, I was rereading this uh, Polly book I have called More Than Two. Um, <laughs> Great name for it. Yep. It's like Very a simple. practical <laughs> guide to polyamory that I picked up three, four years ago. It was like one of the first oh, nice. like, full-on books I read about it and have just been trying to kind of like uh, get my head back in the game. Or I think about the stuff a lot anyway. It's a lot about like communication and like nonviolent communication and just like relationships in general. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that specific to polyamorous relationships. It's just that you have to be like on your shit when you're in that sort of arrangement. Wow. So what's what's that called? Which you said more than two. More than two. Yeah. And you know who the author is? Yeah, it's um, Franklin Vo and Eve Reichert or Rickert. That's interesting because I think that is a huge part of polyamory, and I'm coming at it from little to no actual working knowledge just mm-hmm. from what I've heard. But it sounds like a huge part of its success and also its failure mm. is communication. Yep. That's Which is it. interesting because I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say that I don't think about that as much because uh, I am a serial monogamist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But I know I know communication obviously is a huge part of a relationship. But yeah. I I think if there's something I'd like to look into when it comes to polyamory, not to try it, but to see how they deal with communication between partners. Yeah. Because um, that's only gonna help me. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not yeah. gonna hurt me to learn how to uh, efficiently and um, uh, lovingly communicate with my partner in a way that we can both benefit from. Right. 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 And see, that's the thing. It's just like. Um, it's not really optional in a poly arrangement. Like, if you to not communicate. Yeah, like it. Yeah. Just by nature, there's it's kind of geometrically more complex with more parties involved, and like each of those parties has like all these feelings and like interests and stuff that you're trying <laughs> right. to navigate and like be sensitive and not be a dick. And mm-hmm. so if you leave something out, right, and then like you show up somewhere with somebody you're dating, and then like the other person you're dating is there and you didn't tell them like all of a sudden it's just like that's insane (laughs) it's bad yeah so you have to be careful and um that involves like them being really honest about what you're comfortable with and like Mm -hmm. um being like how much do you want to know about my other my date life and like how much do you need to know and um so yeah i don't know it's it's interesting but it becomes that much more crucial and for that reason is like a nice kind of high-level game to play mm-hmm. that has a lot of light that it sheds on like one-on-one interactions or like other dynamics that you run into everywhere. Because like our whole shit as humans, as far as I could tell, seems to be like uh, connecting with each other and like being in a community and trying to navigate together. You know, working. Together it's our natural inclination. I mean, yeah. Time and time again, it's been proven that we as humans need for our own physical and mental health to be in a group right so yeah we better know how to be able to communicate efficiently with everyone Mm -hmm. totally and there's just it seems to be like none of our parents really taught us how to do this kind of like real communication like my parents didn't really talk about their feelings and um yeah i don't feel like i was really taught to do that and so now i just feel like there's a lot of people who don't have like emotional intelligence and just like run for cover whenever there's an unpleasant feeling that comes up and right so part of it is just trying to undo um those sorts of aspects of our training that make us behave a certain way or whatever 
I know, because I, I think back on how I was raised in... Um, yeah, I mean, I always make the joke that I'm Irish Catholic, so mm. I bury my feelings just deep, deep, deep down in my gut. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> like, I... My parents are still together and have been mm. um, for like 26, 27 years now. And and so I grew up in a house where I can comfortably tell you that my parents were in love. Like I saw mm-hmm. them be affectionate towards each other. Um, they're, they're still happy now. And at this mm-hmm. point, all the kids have left. And I think that's kind of a big um, point <laughs> in, in a family <laughs> dynamic when all the kids leave. Oh, and you get to yeah. see what happens when the parents don't have something to distract them with. Right. Um, and so it's not as if I like I I know and I grew up in a house that there was there was a lot of love mm-hmm. but almost zero communication. Yeah. So I think I know or believe I know how to how I think I'm showing love mm. but I'm being reminded that yeah. Just because I know and I think I'm showing it doesn't mean I'm actually doesn't communicating matter. that. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. fucking matter. Like if there's if we're making this podcast or like a radio show and the fucking tower's dead, or like the internet's <laughs> right, down. Exactly. Like, That's we a... may as well not be here. <laughs> yes. You know. Yes. So like communication is where the rubber meets the road, and yeah. it's part of like what I like about this stuff. A lot of the time is that it undoes what seem to be like kind of harmful st- structures of myths that we have about how the world works. Mm-hmm. One of those, is, like, and you just kind of articulated it even is like the idea that love is enough to make something work, like a relationship work. Yeah. It's like, if you find that perfect person and like you just lock up and love each other like right away and love each other enough, then like you'll live happily ever after into Forever. infinity and into beyond. It. Yeah. So there's this thing like if you love somebody, then like you can work through, or you can make it through anything. Mm-hmm. But that fails to address the idea that like, well, no, sometimes we actually like have to express that love like <laughs> right. by actually doing things for people or operating in a way that like is more considerate or like telling people that you love them. Right. Like right. some yeah. families don't even do that. And that's just like my family did do that. Or like I would even kiss my dad and stuff. So yeah. like there was kind of like affection and love in my house too. But when it came down to it, like there was some big communication issues and I inherited a lot of those habits and it's seems important to undo them yeah yeah but. i think i i think i'm uh trying to work on that uh mm-hmm. laura might have a different answer if you <laughs> if you asked her Word. well what have you been re- i don't know how long were we shooting for like an hour with this yeah so we we have maybe another 10 minutes we can do because we yeah. have about t- a 10 minute <laughs> missing chunk the the lost tape cool um, um i also have to kind of run deliver some uh put some posters up so yeah we can just breeze through this real quick i well i don't want to think i rush you on it i i think i mentioned in our in our other podcast so i'm recent reading um i think i ha- joseph campbell i believe is oh uh his um hero of a thousand faces mm-hmm. and it's like his right. 1960s um um novel or not even a novel because it's non-fiction I, I want to use the word treaties, but I don't even know if I know what that word means or if I'm using it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, um, but it's his his look at what he calls like the monomyth. Um, uh, yeah. You know, here with a thousand faces being throughout human history, there's been these stories that we've told each other that are incredibly similar time and time again, and so he breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, the different aspects of the human experience and how we relate that into our myths and stories that we still tell each other to this day. Mm-hmm. 
it's fun. I think uh, my thing that's always gives me a chuckle is that he relies super heavily on Freud and mm-hmm. Doctor Young. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know, in Freud's Freud's case, a lot of what he wrote about has been. Yeah, I feel like we've argued about this before. I've I have a a bone to pick with you on this probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I think I think I I because. I think that's a, a case because he's he's so much fun, and I think he answers so many questions we have mm-hmm. about our mm-hmm. human experience in ways that we can take. And I think a lot of it has to do, um, which is <coughs> incidental to what um, Joseph's writing about in the book. Mm. But I think it proves that Freud just tapped into these monomyths, ah. and so when yeah. we hear his stuff, it sounds right. Right. Right, because right, right. for centuries we've been telling ourselves these stories, but I don't think those two are necessarily, uh, they don't correlate mm-hmm. necessarily. Like causation without, <laughs> or correlation without causation. Sure. Just, be, just because what, you know, the psycho, psychoanalysis of the human mind sounds like a myth, therefore it must be true because we've been saying this for mm. centuries about the human experience. Well, of course, it seems like you're kind of privileging uh, Campbell's m- myth thing to be more true or something or no well i mean it's it's true in the fact that because it's only true that these are stories that can be easily connected yeah um but no i'm not trying to i'm not trying to put his theories above freud's i think freud has a lot of interesting ideas yeah but a lot of his bigger ones i don't i don't believe no (laughs) um like the the whole like conscious and unconscious oh i think at the i think at this point we kind of recognize that there is no like unconscious mind Mm. like our our the human mind is not split into two separate worlds no but i mean what i like about freud i'll just show my cards is like i like freud but it's because i put him on a similar platform as i put most things like even sciencey stuff like you talked Mm -hmm. about how freud was like has been proven wrong and yeah like i think that's true in a scientific context but like to be honest i don't really trust science that much either right like i think that's like a narrow world view and if you get stuck up and like yeah wonder worrying about like the real veracity of something then it could it doesn't really go anywhere and so this maybe mm-hmm. has reflection of what we were talking about earlier on my attitude of just like going with things <laughs> to see where they take you like, right. because I end up reading Freud or most things in a way that's just like, is this interesting? And like, does it help me think differently about things? Yeah. And so that's what I like about Freud. It's like, even if his stuff isn't scientifically true, a lot of it is really rich on the level of like it becoming like its own fucking like literary research field. Right. Right. Like Freudian analysis in literature, even though it's been disproven, still is something that people are interested in and find useful right and it's yeah for me it's like less like what can i like what is true here and more like what if i take this path and find little things that i can grab on the way that are interesting or useful and then like what can i set aside but with freud i like it and i think there's like when he's speaking to the stuff that campbell's speaking to there's like a nice depth for both of them to be like outlining these aspects of human life or something right and I and I like it. I like it for that. Mm-hmm. I, it is a really interesting thought experiment. But I right. leave it at that. Right. And so I think what I'm picking up on is that it's interesting. Well, just with our 21st century perspective mm-hmm. and how modern um, psychologists think of Freud's theories, to right. then read a book that is so 
like is hung on mm-hmm. that hook mm-hmm. of of old school um, Psych. 20th century psychoanalysis. Yeah. Um, it's like reading a book in which like the author talks a lot about phrenology, and Alchemy you're like, oh, silly racist. Ah, right. <laughs> um, but it's. I think you brought up an interesting thing that I've been finding recently in that um, I've been reading things um, and I will it's crazy to say but I will disagree with them mm-hmm. and there's many things I've read that I disagree with but I was in conjunction with reading Here of a Thousand Faces I was trying to read Edith Hamilton's um, uh, mythology it's just mm-hmm. it's called Mythology Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes mm-hmm. it's a, a fairly old book that kind of um, pieces together a lot of Greek and Roman mythology um, but cool. the whole premise of her writing these myths down is that it's the first time in human history that like civilized people have told stories mm. and it's like ooh yikes <laughs> like that that discounts oh. <laughs> so many other civilizations beforehand because they happen to not be light skinned like the Greeks you love so much right and and so I had to put it down. I was like, I can't. This is mm. outdated. Like, or... It's it, it's not even just racist, but it's just like, um, like just wrong. Right on a on an academic level, <laughs> a a basic level. Yeah, I'm just on a basic. Yeah, just like the story you're creating has been proven time and time again to be wrong. <laughs> so the premise itself is wrong. Right. Um, so that's what I. It's and it's. It's nonfiction, which for me is the the show, the Here of a Thousand Faces is nonfiction, mm-hmm. which is new for me. I'm a pretty big fiction guy, mm-hmm. and it oh yeah, uh, it takes a lot to to get me to read nonfiction. Um, but every time I do, I enjoy it. I don't know why um, I don't pick it up as often as I maybe should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love a good story. Yeah, and I and I sometimes feel like um, nonfiction doesn't provide that for me. Even if like the story that's being written about is fascinating, I still feel like I'm missing that that something. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's funny too because nonfiction sometimes ends up taking, especially newer nonfiction, right? Has takes on a lot of tropes of fiction, like yeah. And that started yeah. with what do they Capote mm, and shit? But what do they call that form of journalism? Even like um, personal essay or um, yeah. Um. No. creative nonfiction I, it's like yes. that's what we called it when i went to school creative nonfiction, right exactly where the author has a, a bit more license to um to, to one i mean especially this is pretty new in journalism to be able to apply themselves to the story before right. that was like unheard of and it's just like not allowed third person yeah yeah right um so yeah, you're right. There is a lot of nonfiction, and I have read some newer nonfiction that does take on a more um, creative approach. Not even just creative, because yeah. it's always anything that's there is creative, but just a more literary approach where there is a more cohesive narrative story, and it's not just like a series of dry facts and information. Right, right, and that ends up being the kind of nonfiction that I like too. Is stuff that kind of goes a little bit out of the way to like make an argument or something or like show mm-hmm. a perspective and not pretend to be like an objective source of information but just like another human source of information that has like human aspects right so that's like some like of the that. debates that go on in non or creative non-fiction classes is like 
if you remember something a certain way and you're writing like a memoir, like are you allowed to take liberties as an author to like, or quote, take liberties if that's how you actually remember it? Or right. do you have to like consider how other people saw it or like to what extent do you have to consider that? And um, well, That's always going to be the huge problem with like first person narratives or um, memoirs, right? Is especially the more we learn about how faulty the human mind mm-hmm. is, especially memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's so many memoirs that at this point now can be considered fiction, <laughs> you know, right. works of fiction. <laughs> right. Right. And there's um, a line, too. There's ethical lines of like. And that's some of the debates is like, yeah. to what extent are you the author allowed to like make shit up <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. um, there's one teacher I had who, um, talked about how in one of her stories, one of the characters takes her typewriter, the typewriter, yeah, her typewriter, it's her, um, autobiography and smashes it. And that never happened, but mm-hmm. she put it in there and it's because she felt that's like, that's what happened. But there's right. like a big moment with her editor or whatever where they were like, like the law, the father-in-law says that he didn't smash your typewriter. But like, <laughs> right. The fact checker's like, uh, this isn't true. Yeah. Like, right. But then it's like. But emotionally for her, it's true. Right. Or like, at what point is she allowed to say that? Or does she have to say like, I felt like they smashed my typewriter or like. Right. Is Which that has lame? less impact. Right. 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 <laughs> so anyway. Um. I like it. Yeah, I've 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 read some like I like Jared Diamond stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he adds um, a lot to his story. Though I do like, I've read two nonfiction books recently that were just kind of cold hard fact after fact after mm. fact. And that is the Earth is Weeping by Peter Cozen, which is a phenomenal um, recount of all the Native American wars of the West um, in the oh. early or the late nineteenth century. Cool. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's phenomenal. And then I actually, for the first time recently, read um, the People's History of the United States of America. Oh, yeah. The whole thing, by huh? Howard Zinn. I got and that thing is sad. so much fun. Yeah. It's a- but it is truly just like sentence. It just it is every sentence is just a Real. new like fact, like just a new piece of information that just oh. like does not let up. Right. I think that was part of it. It was that combined with how depressing it was that I. Stopped. Oh, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very – but he's cool. And that's, like, really interesting fact presentation, right? Because it's, like, kind of subversive. So, mm-hmm. like, kind of inherently more interesting that way. Especially because, yeah, he just lays it on. And he's got, like, these great references and stories about shit. Right. And... Which is also, like, I'm a big conspiracy nut dude. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, how you get people to – agree with you mm. i mean it's it's what it's why the flat earth movement had a recent resurgence it's and it's if you can track it on the youtube videos that were made um uh. because these you, you can go on there now and these youtube videos that are trying to prove flat earth are like 45 minutes long yeah and it's just a dude talking into a microphone yeah. for 45 minutes flashing um graphics of mathematical equations and and all these things where if you listen to it long enough, it just becomes a droning set of facts that you don't even have time to, mm. you know, check them on. Right. Um, and so if you see that and you have no other experience with academia, no knowledge of just, I mean, I take everything and try and right. put it through a, like a bullshit detector. Um, 
But it makes sense. I mean, it's just it's how these cult groups and conspiracy theorists blast off is if you just pre- present something that looks somewhat scientific and just blast them with a wall of facts, mm-hmm. quote unquote. <laughs> like I should be I should not be using that term so loosely, but <laughs> just throw information at them um right. and eventually they just will their defenses will just go down. They'll be like, "Yeah, you're right. The earth is flat." Right. Well, it's so weird cuz it kind of just goes to show like how humans interact with like what they consider to be truth and like yeah usually it just has to do with like finding a tribe that agrees with you and then like that's or that your you reality right and you're right, content right. with just like giving your truth to them right and then it's a reality and then like you're you're in man and so yeah. like conspiracy is an interesting word i've always found because it's like on a basic level it just means to agree or to plan or to plot Right. Like, and I don't know at what point it got, or if it always kind of had like a more um, like clandestine aspect to it, or like a back alley like plot, like conspiracy plan. But yeah, like, I wonder when the first use of that was in specifically when it comes to this type of like modern stuff we're talking about. Because right. obviously, you know, like people who've plotted assassinations probably, you know, they they were called conspirators and right, right, right. And um. But just in in the context of, you know, lizard people and hollow earth theory Mm -hmm. and, you know, JFK assassination conspiracies, like when did that term first become applied to Mm. this level of of thinking? Right. Well, sometimes I feel like a freaking freaking who says freaking us because we're trying to get a a, like a PG-13 rating. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I just get interested – like, sometimes I feel like a conspiracy nut job. Like, when I look around and look at the world and how much sense it doesn't seem to make, like how – like, especially kind of civilization and how shit does not seem to be built for humans, and I'm, like, mm-hmm. confused about – like, sometimes I really do think along the lines of, like, kind of a reptile Illuminati thing, <laughs> right? And I think that's why those things have force is because – in my mind, there's a Marxist version of that, right? Which is like billionaires who are controlling everything. Right. And like, sometimes that seems to be the case. And then, like, some people could call me, like, I've actually been accused of, right? Like, it sounds like a little conspiracy or something. And I'm right. like, yes, but like, a conspiracy sometimes is true. Like, the meaning of it is that it's like a plot in which people agree to do something. Or totally. whatever. So, like, one person's conspiracy is another person's truth, right? And, like, yeah. it's hard to figure out if you're crazy or not. <laughs> oh, I feel that way constantly, and I've definitely been called conspiracy nut. Mm-hmm. But I take the opposite approach. Mm. Like, I firmly believe that a lot of these conspiracies and a lot of these mysteries and things that we don't fully understand are not a byproduct of secret societies. I don't think humans are capable of keeping that level of secret. Mm. The idea of the Illuminati is almost laughable to me. Because right. I know at a certain point, one dude would get drunk at a bar and try to hit on a lady and would tell her that she, he's in the Illuminati. Because that's like not the coolest a secret, fucking secret. Everybody knows about the Illuminati. Right. And it's just, I don't think <laughs> humans are capable of that. I think what a lot of these obviously, like... Excluding like lizard people and a lot of the more fantastical <laughs> elements, like I think a lot of what would be considered conspiracy theories are a result of people fucking up and then other people having to fucking try to save. Everybody's just trying to save their own ass. Mm. So when I think of these giant government conspiracy cover-ups, I don't think it's because there's a giant Bilderberger group that controls everything. I think it's just based on 
pure human folly, and mm. nobody wants to look bad, and so they're all scrambling to cover their asses, and they do, and it's why we get these... Was it a weather balloon at Roswell, or was it a failed, oh. you know, government aircraft, or was it truly aliens? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think we're that smart to have secret societies running everything. Right, right. I think we're just scared of embarrassing ourselves and having, you know, pie on our face. Mm-hmm. And when that happens at high levels, it gets weird at when it leaks down and finally to us. Mm-hmm. We're like, huh, what? <laughs> what happened? Mm-hmm. And nobody's gonna talk because again. Nobody wants to look fucking bad. Mm-hmm. Unless you get a patsy. Right. If you can get a good patsy, so that can f- then get immediately shot when they're leaving the courthouse. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. So it's much more likely that people are just fucking up. Like, I think so. Oh, shit. I think it's a, I like think it's a chain House of fuck-ups. With, like, the 9-11 when people say the White House could have shot down the planes. or Like, I've heard that kind of shit. I know. It's like... Oh, yeah, I mean, maybe the fucking guy was drunk who was supposed to be looking at the thing. <laughs> like, at I, the sky. I love it. And, like, that's probably more likely than, like, everybody well, getting together and... <laughs> I know. We're definitely going down a huge rabbit hole at the 9-11. But I think, again, <laughs> using using my theory, it's much more likely that somebody fucked up and, and didn't fully understand. I mean, obviously, you know, like, Berlin fucked up and not... They had these people... You know, it's a whole series, I think, of fuck-ups. It's way less likely that it was 100% planned and executed by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many people implicit and complicit in this, but I don't think it's that level of conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And I wish people talked about that more. I'm tired of hearing that jet fuel doesn't burn steel beams, because that's (laughs) fucking insane. (laughs) Like, people who didn't... Like, people thousands of years ago were, like, melting steel with coals. So... Mm. It's possible, and that's not what people should be looking into. Should we start arguing about steel beams? What's that? We could start arguing about the science of steel beams. The steel beams, I know, and then we just have a 40-minute long YouTube video <laughs> battle of facts and wall of equations. There's um, good money in that. Right. You get enough subscribers and enough ad revenue, I mean... That's it's, the shit, man. That, Again, another conspiracy where I'm like, you're believing this dude who has, you know, 150,000 followers, so he's probably making, you know, close to 10 grand a month mm. on your revenue. You don't think that's a conspiracy? Like, you don't you don't <laughs> think the dude's maybe hyping this shit up so he can get more revenue? No, man. He's got the facts. No, nah, dude. He knows. Look, They're just watch the videos, him. dude. I'll send you a link. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just watch he it. actually addresses this in one of his videos. I'll send you the link. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, I need we've to do been going more... for a good time. Yeah. Well, dude. Well, sorry about um, the hiccups. I think it was pretty smooth sailing after the first uh, bit. But... Oh, yeah. It should be fine. Cool. Are you happy? Do you want to talk more? No, I'm great. This is good. I think we've been talking for... I think we're probably now at an hour, and I think that's... I think that's long. That's longer than anybody who ever wants to listen to us talk. So, <laughs> definitely. I think if we just released the first seven minutes where we were talking and then it cut out and we said thanks for listening, we'll see you next week, <laughs> people oh, would be okay with that. Enough. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, dude, signing off. Yeah. Thanks for. I'm not uh, sure how the time yeah. it was. Nice to fucking chat with you. Yeah, it was. It was good. Let's do it again. Let's do it and record it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording. All right, me too.
Alright, it's me again. Uh, wasn't that fun? Especially that beginning part listening to me stutter through the introduction. So let's try it again for the outro. Thank you all for listening. I don't have much else to say than, than look forward to more episodes. It'll be fun. Uh, it'll be a little bit more polished. We'll all get comfortable on the mic. I'm speaking for myself here. Um, and you can follow us on our respective Instagrams. Follow us at waste-division.org. Uh, well, that's the website. And you can follow us there. Uh, I think the Instagram's Waste Division. The Facebook's probably Waste Division. I think we kind of got everything on there. So it's all should just be Waste Division. Um, I'm not too good on that stuff, but I know there's a lot of great things that are happening there, and you should all check it out. And hopefully I will have a song for the beginning and end, so you don't have to listen to me try and do this comfortably um, and naturally. I don't know how people do it. Uh, I'm right now sitting in a tiny little bunker, speaking to the wall as if I am speaking to you personally, directly. Um who years to hoping <laughs> oh jesus christ all right bye hey guys sorry phil jumping in here just to add to cooper's spiel that if you are interested in participating in a monthly art distro um, we're buying items from independent artists and then distributing them through the mail sort of like a blue apron for independent art so if that's something you're interested in, um, Cooper will probably have some stuff in there in the future. Um, I've had some stuff in there in our past bundles. Um, we have different levels from like one or two bucks up to $25 a month. Um, so depending, uh, we'll either just like send you a sticker, something I design a lot of the time, or our friend Mary Kate designs some stickers. Um, we also have buttons, like band buttons that we send out. Um, so that would be like a one, two dollar a month, all the way up to twenty-five, where we'll send you like vinyls and um, posters and kind of more substantial items. So depending on your ability um, and your desire, if you want to check that out, uh, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com, and search for Waste Division, and you'll see the tiers. And um, if you're interested, you could sign up, and you'll be getting packages right from my fucking living room. So, yay. Okay, sorry for the commercial. Thanks. Bye.